So, uh, does anybody have a bad habit? Okay, let's have a confession. Okay, ready? <laughs> I'll point, and then you just tell us your bad habits. There's a lot of people saying, no, don't look at me. <laughs> Turn the other way. Uh, yeah, I think we can all relate to this conversation about bad habits. We can all relate to the idea that maybe there's some things in our, our, our life that we do on a regular basis that uh, are not the best for us. And one of the things that I've known for a long time that was a bad habit for me uh, is just how I eat food. Uh, I didn't eat food to survive, I ate it. Uh, and especially loved anything that was, you know, chocolate and sweets and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> well, about three months ago, two and a half months ago, Terry and I went to a nutritionist because, you know, we decided, hey, maybe we should see how we're doing because we're kind of getting to that stage of our life where, you, you know, the body doesn't just function the way it used to function. I mean, I mean, I remember being like my two sons who can eat just about anything and nothing, it wouldn't affect my body. I, I do remember this. I mean, I, I remember sitting down in front of a whole pizza and eating the whole pizza. And in fact, I remember going out with a girl in high school one time. She was a cross country runner. We went out for pizza after a football game, which I played in, and she matched me piece for piece all the way around the pizza. That was the only day we went on. <laughs> I was expecting maybe she'd have a slice or two. Oh, oh, she matched me all the way around. Well, anyways, we go with this nutritionist, and this nutritionist takes you through a series of tests. Well, she got only into the second test, and she just stopped, and she said, Brad, uh, it doesn't pay to do any more of these tests, because I already know, you're a hot mess. And then she said these words, so if you don't change, you're a candidate for diabetes in the next eight That got my and so, you know, Terry and I, we just, what part of this process was we had to cut all sugar and all carbs. First 30 days. Cool. Um, we're, we're over two months into this thing, and the amazing thing in this whole process is that as much as I love chocolate chip cookies, and you know, especially Terry's chocolate chip cookies, um, and as much as I, every afternoon, needed a cup of coffee and some type of sweets. Um, I felt like I could never live life without that stuff. Today, I don't need it. Today I have more energy in the afternoon so that I don't have to uh, have a cup of coffee and sweets to, to make it through this day. The point for me in sharing this with you is, is just to notice that my eating habits were something that developed over time. It wasn't 
just someday I wanted to be bad, I wanted to have a bad health. That's not what I wanted. It, it was something that happened over time, and it starts with something small. And in fact, even other bad habits, like lying. You, you know some people that are chronic liars. You maybe know some, some people like that. Well, that chronic lying didn't start with, they just started lying. What happened is, they lied once and got away with it. And then they lied again and got away with it again. And then again and again, to the point where the chronic lying is, they lie and they don't even know they're lying. Today we're going to talk, our sermon title is, is Pride. All it takes is a little. When it comes to pride or arrogance, it doesn't start with us being this super arrogant person. It begins with little bits of arrogance, little bits of, I think I can do this. And those little bits of arrogance grow to the point where we become filled with pride that we can't hear anything anybody else may want to tell us. In fact, um, it, it's kind of what Jesus said, and Jesus using his words, where, you know, learn to take the log out of your own life before you take the splinter out of somebody else's. We don't even see the log. It's for me one of the biggest issues that I've seen even in in my marriage and in marriages that I have worked with over the years is um, you begin to see your partner as a problem and you don't see what you are Last week John looked at the beginning of chapter 6 and was talking about lawsuits among believers but before we go on in chapter 6 I felt like we had to jump back into chapter 5 and to finish up a thought process in the conversation that we were having. And so today, we're going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6, through the end of chapter 5. And so, uh, if you want to turn in your Bibles, or you can see the words on the screen uh, up behind me here. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened, for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, uh, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat, to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church that you are to judge? God judges those outside, purse evil person from among you. We read these verses a couple weeks ago when we talked about the church in Corinth and its arrogance. And the arrogance was that it was allowing a man who was uh, living with or sleeping with his father's wife to continue to function as part of 
body of the church. And we talked a little bit about how the church, how we as Christians can sometimes cheapen grace. It's we are saved by grace, it's not by works, so we can do whatever we want. I also focus at a greater length that maybe because Paul was talking about leadership issues earlier in 1 Corinthians, that maybe this person was somebody of influence within the church. Maybe they had position or power or money or some kind of influence and people did confront him of his sin because they didn't want to lose him and how we in the church over time have seen numerous pastors rise up and have these large churches and then all of a sudden there's some kind of moral failure and then you hear that it's been going on for a little time and people knew about it and they never confronted Today I want to point out two truths that Paul shares with the church in Corinth about how to handle these situations. The first truth is this. A little impacts the whole. Paul talks about leaven here, and leaven is a fermenting of bread. Now, some translations use yeast, and yeast gives you kind of an idea, but it isn't really what leaven is. Leaven is, what, what they would do is they would make bread, and you leave it out so that it would rise. Well, so it would get fermented because of germs and that kind of stuff. And then, when they went to bake it, they would cut off a chunk, and they would set it aside and leave it for the next batch. They would bake this bread, then the next time they made bread, they would make the bread, they would take the leaven that is fermented, put it in with the unleavened bread, mix it up, and that would help speed up the rising process. That they just kept doing it. So that's the picture that Paul is sharing, and all the people there knew what that process was. Well, once a year, uh, they would break that chain because over time, needless to say, that fermented bread could get like really fermented, like filled with like lots of bad germs. And so once a year, they would break that cycle and start over from brand new. Now the interesting thing is that this beginning, this starting over, happened when they were celebrating the Passover. You see, remember in Exodus, Passover is when God led the Israelites out of Egypt. And if you remember, uh, at the last plague, the last plague came, they were to sacrifice the lamb, they were, they were to kill the lamb, take the blood, put blood on the doorposts, and they were supposed to make unleavened bread. They were supposed to take the leavened bread that they had and get rid of it because they're starting new with unleavened bread. Once they left Egypt, everything is new. And we have this picture, and I shared it at, at the baptism the other day, that the picture of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea before they're slaves. They cross the Red Sea, they are free. It's all brand new. So part of the picture for the Israelites with the unleavened bread is it's starting new. Whatever 
germs, whatever fermenting that was happening in Egypt, that's done. It's gone. It's brand new. God told them that every year you celebrate the Passover. And they called it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Part of this feast is you get rid of all the leaven in your house. For seven days, you eat bread that is unleavened bread. Now, here's an interesting thing. If somebody is caught with leavened bread in their house during the feast of unleavened bread, they were cut off from the congregation of Israel. It doesn't matter whether they were a native Israelite or whether they were a foreigner passing through. If they had unleavened bread in their house during this seven days, they were cut off. The feast was reminding them how God brought them out of slavery and into a new life of freedom. This picture is a picture of resetting a life. It's realizing that sometimes we need to step back away from life and reset our life. It's for, for me this thing that Terry and I did because of nutritionists of no sugar and no carbs, it was in essence. Resetting our bodies to get rid of all the junk that had been built up. We reset. This is why fasting can be such an important spiritual discipline for us. Because it gives us an opportunity to reset. We all have left, because we live in this flesh, we all have leaven within us. And that leaven builds. Even if we come to church every Sunday and we worship and we, whatever spiritual disciplines you have, there is a buildup that can happen. And sometimes we need to step away and reset. There's an old quote that'll help us see why this is an important thing. It's this It's easier for God to take his people out of Egypt than it is. You see, Christ has already died on the cross for our sins. He's already taken his cross to the sea. We've already been set free. But that learning to live in that freedom, now that's the lifelong journey. That's the lifelong story. For Paul in 1 Corinthians, what is the old leaven that needs to be removed? Well, in chapter 5 here, uh, he points out two words. The first word, malice. Malice means hostility, means a hateful disposition, means evil doings, it means wickedness. And we see that even in the church today. Of people responding out of hate. And remember, this, this malice is a big word. Hate is 
disposition. We don't see bloody do that, but yet it starts out again small. It just takes a little bit. It, it may be a disagreement on the color of paint that we paint the church, or, or maybe a disagreement about the carpet, or maybe it's a disagreement about the style of worship music, or maybe it grows to something theological. But it's little things. The division is planted. And if it goes unchecked, we grow. So all of a sudden, there's this bottle that a little bit of leather infects the whole. The other word that Paul points out there is evil, or in some translations, wickedness. This is perverting of a virtue or moral principles for your own gain. The desire is for self. This is where pride and arrogance are, are really big because it's all about self-promotion. It's all about what I want. We, we see this in the story of King David with Bathsheba. David used his position to take advantage of a woman and not only took advantage of this woman, Bathsheba, but took advantage of her husband, Uriah, and his moral value of serving his king, and David selfishly used that moral value to put that man at the front of the line and then draw everybody back so that he would be killed. That's evil. Did King David start out that way? Somewhere along the line in the story of King David, that that pride and arrogance got in there. And yet, see, he, he was more of the center. Things always starts with just a little bit. Even in marriages today, it isn't. Adultery doesn't happen right away with somebody of the opposite gender coming to one of the couple, like a woman coming to a man and just saying, I'm here for you, whatever. It doesn't, adultery doesn't start that way. Adultery starts when little things begin to happen and all of a sudden the wife or the husband doesn't feel like they are seen or heard. It's just little things like that. He doesn't see me. She doesn't hear me. And then Satan, after that builds and that grows, the, the leaven is in there, it's in that lump, and it's infecting the hole, it's starting to rise, and then Satan brings another woman along who starts to hear the man, and all of a sudden his attention goes somewhere else. This is why Paul says, get rid of the leaven and expose the man. This is why the feast of the unleavened bread, there was so strict, it was like anybody found with any kind of leaven in their household for seven days, they are cut off from the congregation. Now, we know that it's not a permanent cut off from the congregation. There is a process of uh, purification, but they would be cut off. 
another reason why um, Paul is so adamant about this. In verse 7, Paul says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. Listen to this. As you really are unleavened. Telling the church is you're already unleavened. It's done. Get rid of the leaven because you are unleavened. You are unleavened because Christ, the Passover lamb, has already been sacrificed. And like the Israelites, you have already crossed the Red Sea. You are already in the promised land. You are unleavened. So get rid of the leaven. Because we are unleavened, we are clean. Paul even gives us a couple words to contrast the other two of what unleavened bread look like, looks like. He says this that unleavened bread is sincerity. Sincerity is purity, it's integrity, it's honesty, it's a straightforward attitude and straightforward speech. It's Purity of motive. You see the difference? The other word is truth. Not some kind of subjective truth. It's, it's objective truth. It's Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It's confirming to the reality of God's truth, not my own truth or what I would determine truth being. It is the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what I'm letting. Just reminds me of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. See the difference between leaven and unleavened in this verse. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in meekness with wisdom. But if you have unleavened or leaven in you, you have bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Now here's the unleavened. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice in the very nature. Here's this verse. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, full of reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who it begins with the smallest of selfishness and jealousy. And then it grows to the point that it's hatred and division, demonic. It causes churches to divide and marriages to divide and families to divide. That's what leaven. Get rid of leaven. You are unleavened. There's a caveat to Paul's instruction here about getting rid of this unleavened or not having a meal with someone, and that is this. The 
focus on we are dead. Verse 11, Paul says, let the church know that this getting rid of unleavened is for within the church, within the body of Christ. This is not about judging the world, because if we were to judge the world and we were to take this practice for the people of the world and not be with the people of the world, we would have to leave earth altogether. So this removing of leaven is for anyone who bears the name of brother. And I love the word here. Because the Greek word, adopos, means the womb. So someone who came from the same womb as you is a brother or sister. Physically, this makes sense, right? You come from the same womb, you are brother and sister. Even if you, you may have a different mom, but you have the same dad, you are brother, sister. But Paul is talking here from a spiritual sense in that he is saying, if, if you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you are born again, you are brother and sister. You see, brothers and sisters in Christ have been born again to the Heavenly Father. We have the same Heavenly Father. We're in this together. This is important because as we look at how do we respond to each other, we need to view each other as brothers and sisters, as family. And not just us in this room, but anybody. Remember, almost from the very first message in this series, way back last March, Paul says, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, no matter where they're from, around the world, they are a brother or a sister in Christ. So Paul says, anyone who is brother or sister in Christ, then in essence, brings leaven into the family. What do you mean that? Oh, well, that seems so hard, right? Because the chapter 3, what did Paul say? You all, every you all, you all, we all together are God's temple. God's spirit dwells in us all together, right? We are set apart together for the Holy Spirit. Remember chapter 1, we are to proclaim the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is the power of God letting leaven in, takes away from the message of the cross. Remember John 17, where Jesus' prayers for unity. Why? So that the world may know. Wow. Luckily, my intention was to go through these quick. So here they are. Seven practices for 
The first practice for families is one love. Love the person right where they're at. Jesus is our example. While we were sinners, he loved us. Too many of us wait until the person has changed to become like me before we love them. No. We love them right where they're at. Number two, teach. Teaching means more than just telling them what's wrong. It means answering their why questions. It means listening to their doubts. It means walking with them through life. It means being on the journey together. Jesus taught his disciples as he was going through life with them. Teach and love. Three, celebrate. When a brother or sister in Christ has a victory in a certain area of life, celebrate with them. Say yes, even if it's the littlest of victories. Yes. Awesome. Way to go. Fourth, persevere. We all make mistakes. We all need to persevere with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to hold our hand when they make mistakes. We need to pick them up when they fail. We all make mistakes. This is what Paul is talking about not eating, this, this is different. Persevere with a brother and sister in Christ. We can walk with them hand in hand all the way through. Number five, let go. If they choose to go a different way, let them go. That's what Paul's telling us. It's, it's a Jesus. Jesus is the rich young ruler. He told them what needed to change. Rishon really went away sad. We don't know what happens, but Jesus didn't go running after him. Go on, so give it to me, okay? Let him go. It's the parable of the prodigal son. Give me my inheritance. The father goes, here. Let him go. Knowing full well the son is going to screw it all up. But he knew that was the only way he could get his son back. And the only way we get people back into the family is if we let them go. Let him go. Six, invite others. Meaning, invite others into your life to walk with you and reveal to you things that are going on in your life. Are you ready for that? Who do you have in your life that will call you out? Number seven, invite God. Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Um, listen to the Spirit when the Spirit is revealing your world. And when the Spirit is doing something, you don't put it on somebody else. Earlier, we sang these words. Holy God, take my heart, purge with flame and truth. A holy heart is all I want. Do you mean that? Really? It's easy to sing it here. But are you ready for God to purge your heart? You know in John 15, bear much fruit. Your 
prayer that you bear much fruit for the kingdom, you will get pruned by the vine dressing. That's your prayer. And you say, God, I want to bear much fruit for your glory. What you are saying is, God, prune me. But you see, it's just a little light. It affects the whole world. And so the heart of this whole message is that God isn't looking for perfection. He's looking for people who are willing to get up to me before the Father and allow him to mold them and shape them so that he can use them for your, his glory and his honor. We are family. We are in this together. Our mission is to impact people with the love of Jesus on the earth as it is in heaven. Let us invite the Father into our own lives to impact our own spiritual well-being so we can bear much fruit.